Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Watching my Jesus strengthens me to make it through whatever day. It just does. So when I look at these stories, I'm just like, oh man, yeah, Lord, and I'm, I'm grateful that he, he's aware of all our stories. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through, and you can trust him to place all that stuff at his feet. He knows how to get you through that bad day. It may not be instantly, but he knows how to walk with you as a good shepherd through whatever valley you're going through, but it's a good reminder for us that he himself went through the valley of the shadow of death for us. We all have bad days, some worse than others. Maybe you've had one recently. Well, today, Pastor James shares his strategy to deal with the bad days in his life. He says that his strength to go on comes from comparing his situation to the persecution, temptation, and sacrifice of Jesus. He did it all for you, and he's there when you need him most. God already knows what you're going through and how to help you through it. His timing will rarely align with yours, but somehow it's always right. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 14, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 14 this morning, if you don't mind turning there. And we're going to cover just a little bit. We are at a snail's pace within the Gospel of Mark, um, which is good. I think there's been a lot of things that we're, we're seeing as we go through this book. We're not in any hurry to get through the, the Word of God, because once we finish, we're just going to start back over. So that's like, so we're just going to take our time. And um, as we're going through, especially these familiar passages, I think sometimes it's good to kind of push pause and, and drill, drill down deeper into the subject matter and maybe see things that we haven't noticed before. And this whole Garden of Gethsemane type scenario that oftentimes is taught through around Easter time, uh, I don't want it to just become like, yeah, we know he, he went in there, he prayed, got betrayed and all that good stuff. It's like, yeah, we heard it, we heard it. I don't want that to be a part of how we receive the Word of God, because that's the temptation I fall into when I'm reading through the Word, like on a daily basis. If you do your daily Bible reading, you get through stories where you're like, all right, I know this story, I know this story, and then sometimes we miss out on a lot. But So our goal is to speed up when the Spirit wants us to speed up and slow down when the Spirit wants us to slow down. And so through chapter 14, we are going to slow down, and with this portion that we're going to read through, I think it might hit you where you're at. Um, I don't know your business. I don't know where you're at. All I ever know when I'm studying through this is like, I, most of this is like speaking to me. So even when I'm teaching to you, you might think like, I think he knows my business. I don't. Nobody told me anything about you before you got here. Most of it, I'm just thinking like, oh, that applies to me. Even as I'm teaching, I got to process through that too. But let's read through this portion of scripture because it's a small one. And then we're going to pray and, and just get right into it. Verse 43 is where we'll pick up says, immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude of swords and clubs, came from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders, a little trifecta there. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely, or more so securely, okay? Verse 45, 
As soon as uh, he had come, immediately he went to him and said to him, now this is Judas and Jesus, right? Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Then they, the guard and all that, the soldiers that they brought with them, they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all, his disciples, forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man, we think it's Mark, can't be dogmatic, followed him having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, or Texas, naked body, there you go. And the young men uh, laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked, which is a really big deal, especially in the Jewish culture. They're not big time on the whole nudity thing uh, or streaking or anything like that. So that's all. We're going to cover this portion of Scripture. So I'm going to pray, and then we're just going gonna to just dive right into this thing, okay? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for, I thank you, for you. I, I thank you, Lord, for the uh, suffering that you endured on our behalf. And Lord, I'm thankful for the encouragement that we can gain from you through the difficult times in our own lives. And Lord, as I just reflect on this story, I'm no different than any of the disciples who ran away. When trouble came, Lord, they bailed, and they bailed on you. And uh, Lord, I I can identify with these guys. And so I thank you, Lord, that you stood fast. And that you were, you were determined to accomplish the Father's will. And uh, Lord, I thank you for all the things that you endured on my behalf, on all of our behalf, Lord. And I'm grateful for the account from Mark and, uh, and from Peter as well, Lord, as they uh, let us know what that night was like for you in the garden. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever have a bad week? Yeah, you're like, duh. We start with rhetorical questions? Yes, we are. Yeah, a bad day. You've all had bad days, right? You're human beings. Okay, good. Flawed human beings. Yes, me. I'll raise two hands. When I see this, this story for Jesus, and I'm like, I can't even imagine what he's going through. And just in case you don't know the context of the story, they just celebrated Passover. And it's the Passover, it's the evening, and where typically these guys would stay up late re- retelling of God's redemption and all this good stuff. And They go from that upper room having celebrated Passover and then the Lord instituting communion and he had that with with the 11 because Judas took off and and then from there they transitioned to this garden of Gethsemane and it's dark, it's dark. The evening, I mean, there's no sunlight at all. It's just maybe a moon and it's a dark garden and the feeling, the atmosphere is growing darker itself. The disciples don't really understand what's coming, but Jesus knows fully what's about to happen in mere hours in his own life. And we see that as he goes into the garden with his disciples, that he leaves some at the kind of the entrance, so to speak, but then he takes his three with him further into the garden. And he says, watch here, wait with me while I go and pray. And then he himself goes off just a stone's throw away and, and he falls just prostrate on the ground, just on his face. And he's praying. And it's, it's this agonizing prayer that he has going on. This is Jesus. This is Yeshua. He is the Messiah. And he is praying to God, saying, if there be any other way, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. We know from Luke's account that the impact of this, this night, this bad day, so to speak, for Jesus is physically having an effect on his body. I mean, you know, he's sweating great drops of blood. 
That's, that's caused by intense stress within his life. And, and it's not that, and I, I said this last week, he wasn't ever afraid of the cross. He was never afraid of the suffering. That was never part of the equation for him. He was stone-faced like Flint. He was, he was going to the cross for us. The issue was, for the first time ever, the separation between him and the Father. Because when our sins were poured out on him, you understand that that never happened. And that's where this agony is coming into play. And there's Jesus, and he's praying for, you know, hours. And he comes back, and his three, his, you know, the three he selected, they're snoozing. They, they fell asleep on him, right? And so, and then he goes away, and then he comes back, and they're, they're still sleeping. And then he goes away and prays more, and then he comes back, and they're still sleeping. And you would just think, like, just seeing this blood-covered Jesus coming to you saying, I really need you to watch with me. I just really need you, your companionship right now. Obviously, I'm having a bad day, right? And that's kind of the scene that, that's happening here. And, and I just was thinking through this, and I've, you've had bad days. I've had bad days. This week has been one of the tops on my list as far as that goes. Uh, starts off with a broken dryer and then a broken washer and then I go to work on Monday, and a bee stings me right here in my forehead. And then I get poor man's Botox. Um, so all my wrinkles are gone because my face is swollen up, looking like a real housewife of Galveston. And I'm just like, hey, here I am. Like, no wrinkles, no flaws, right? Praise God the swelling didn't get as bad as what it has gotten before. And uh, I appreciate you guys praying and all that. And it dissipated a lot faster. So then you're like, okay, Lord, all right, okay, just a bad day just a bad day, and I'm just staying focused on the garden. I'm like, but you had a really bad day, right? You had a really bad day. And then you go through your week, and then Wednesday you get bit by a dog. That was fun. Then you're like, okay, Lord, just a bad day. But I wasn't ever in the garden. I never went through what you went through. And we have bad days. We, we have days like that. And, and when I see the story of Jesus, and I know the crucifixion story, I know like my bad days matter to him. But broader perspective, I'm like, but you know, it's not that bad. It's, it's bad. And I understand we got stories happening in this congregation where it's like, yeah, those are bad seasons. That's a tough season for you to go to. And we don't belittle those at all. If anything, when I see Jesus in the garden, I'm just reminded of like, man, he went through a rough, rough time for you and for me. And when I see that, I don't know how this works for you, but when I see that and I go through a bad week, or a bad day, watching my Jesus strengthens me to make it through whatever day. It just does. So when I look at these stories, and I'm just like, oh man, yeah, Lord, and I'm, I'm grateful that he, he's aware of all our stories. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through, and you can trust him to place all that stuff at his feet. He knows how to get you through that bad day. It may not be instantly, but he knows how to walk with you as a good shepherd through whatever valley you're going through. But it's a good reminder for us that he himself went through the valley of the shadow of death for us. And that's where we're at with this story. As he is done praying and he encourages his guys and back in 41 and 42 that like, okay, no, get your rest. No, wait, never mind. I see the betrayer coming. The betrayer has entered the garden. This is where our story picks up. It says, verse 43, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas one of the 12, which is a really interesting thing that Mark would put such a 
high title on Judas, knowing full well this Mark's gospel account was probably the earliest book written after Jesus' death, okay? But he still is Judas, who was, who was one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, the guys who were, who were running the religious services, so to speak, at the, the temple, all these guys, the Roman cohort, which a Roman cohort, cohort could be anywhere from like 600 soldiers. So they bring an army, essentially, to arrest Jesus. And they have swords, which Roman soldiers would typically carry a sword. And the, uh, the Jewish temple guards and things like that who work primarily within the temple would carry what I would call billy clubs. They would carry sticks, you know, and maybe bop you on the head or whatever. But so, that's, so you have these two polar dynamics being unified because of a common enemy, and his name is Jesus. And they come at him as if he's a violent criminal. That's the scene. So if you could picture a garden scene, and it's just dark, and the only light you have is that from the moonlight, and whatever stars are visible, and then Jesus sees the crowd coming, but he sees Judas entering the garden. And he's got this whole army with him, so to speak, Verse 44, it says, now his betrayer, this is Judas, had given them, they prearranged all this stuff. He'd given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him, lead him away safely or securely. Because you see that term safely. I'm in the New King James today, uh, by the way. But you see that term safely, you think like, well, I think Judas may care about Jesus. Judas does not care about Jesus. That term there, safely, is not indicating he is like, don't hurt him. He's like, no, keep him secure because that guy, he knows how to get away. Because I've seen him in previous stories where guys in temples or the different religious gatherings, maybe up in Nazareth, when they try to get a hold of him, he just passed through the crowd. He's like, no, you got to really get a hold of this guy because he knows how to get away. Slippery. Judas already prearranged this all with these guys. And the most despicable thing of all is the type of kiss he chose to mark Jesus with. There are different kinds of kisses that were utilized in showing respect or greeting somebody in this time period. And especially within the Middle Eastern culture, you could kiss somebody on their palm, right? Which I would never, ever do. I'm a germaphobe, so oh gosh, no way. You could kiss them on their feet. Not happening. Not at all. You know, you may be, if, if somebody's wearing like a signet ring or things like that, you, we've seen that in movies, people kiss that signet ring. But the most intimate one of all of them is a kiss on the cheek. The most intimate greeting between two individuals and oftentimes used between students and their teachers is a kiss on the cheek. And that's the one he chose. He himself chose to identify Jesus as a criminal. As a criminal. He brings the army. And which just speaks to the fact that most of these guys didn't even know how Jesus looked. You're like, well, didn't he have that glowing halo thing around his head? Right, that's how you would tell, right? Like, no, that's our Renaissance painters, right? They're using art and, you know, indicating holiness, right? But Jesus was just normal, He was just normal, probably average height, 
which back in that day is, you know, for these guys, it was, I can't remember exactly what that is, like 5'9", you know, somewhere around there. So just normal guy, normal guy. He's not floating. The Shekinah's not on him, so to speak. You know, you're not, but Judas is like, no, I'll tell you which one he is because he's the guy I'm going to go up and I'm not just going to kiss him once. I will hold that kiss for as long as I have to so that you know who he is. That's literally in the Greek is what, what he's saying. So there's an idea that he repeatedly had kissed Jesus until they knew this is the guy, go get him. In the Middle Eastern culture, this is the most like, this is the grossest of betrayals. I mean, for, for you to do that, and I can't even imagine what their, what their reaction is in hearing Judas's plan because this is his plan. When he would be telling these guys like, no, I'm going to get him, I'll kiss him on the cheek. They would all understand just how wicked that is. You don't betray somebody like that that way. Just a good indication of where Judas was at within his heart. He selected that method. Whomever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him, take him away. Now, what we don't understand and what we don't know is, was Judas trying to manipulate the situation? Was he trying to force Jesus into fulfilling what he thought Jesus was going to do for him? And that's overthrow the Romans. The Romans. So maybe he's thinking like, well, if I can set him up, and I bring all these guys, then I will force him into a position where he has to act out violently. We don't know. If if that's his maneuvering, I have no idea. We can't say that. We don't know. But I do know that he was more than willing to sell Jesus out. He was more than willing to betray him. And it says, as soon as he came, immediately he went up to him and, and he said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Other gospel accounts let us know that before he kissed him, Jesus had spoken to him, Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? Judas, just let me get this straight. You chose to betray me with this high act of devotion, with one of the highest forms of acknowledgement. And Judas Judas went on with it. He kissed him, and he didn't just kiss him the one time, but it was probably repeated until he knew for sure Jesus was in their custody. So they laid their hands on him and took him. And the idea there within our Greek is that this was no like, all right, hey, you know, hey, let's, let's be gentle on this guy. No, it was like they grabbed hold of Jesus. They seized him. They grabbed hold of him. You're not going to get away from us. What's kind of cool, and you can look at different gospel accounts of this. One of my favorite accounts of this story is actually in the gospel of John, because they approach Jesus, and he's like, who are you looking for? And they're like, uh, Jesus, we think. And he's like, I am he. And he's like, and then boom, they all fall on their backs, because the enemies of God tend to fall on their backs, and those who worship him tend to fall on their faces. So I love, jo- I love John's account of that. And then there's, there's more dynamics to this, but Mark is just letting us know Here's just a little overview of what happened that evening. So there's other details. I would encourage you to look at Matthew's account. It's, it's a great account. Luke's account, he goes into some finer details within the story. And then John has a great perspective on it as well. And he is the one who includes uh, some other elements. But Mark here is just letting us know they showed up. Yeah, that stuff happened. Mark didn't include it in here because it wasn't essential to his audience. 
But Mark is letting us know that Judas came and he, he betrayed him with a kiss. And then they, they seized Jesus. And it says, and one of those who stood by drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. No other gospel accounts let us know who this is, except for our buddy John, who seemed to have a healthy competition going with Peter. And John's like, no, no, that's Peter. That was Peter. Yeah, don't know. Now, there's a practical reason, I believe, for this, because Mark's account came so early, this would have caused Peter more threat if Mark would have identified him from the Jewish leaders because of the earliness of this letter that was written. John's gospel came at the end. And so he felt like, well, by that time, there's a good chance. I don't know my chronology right now, to be exact. I don't know if, can't remember if Peter was still alive or not, but, but he was well beyond the threat. And John's like, no, nah, that was Peter. That was Peter. Now, there's two thoughts on this part of it, though. Some say that Peter was probably a skilled fisherman and a horrible swordsman, right? We know they only had two swords. Not everybody was packing, because before this story happened, the disciples were like, Jesus, we've got two swords. He's like, that's enough. Bring those two swords, okay? Peter happened to be one of the guys, probably not the right guy to carry the sword, but um, he was one of the guys carrying the sword, and he seemingly seems to try to take it into his hands of like, I will solve this problem. Jesus, remember, I'm the best you have. I'm the best that's ever happened to you. These other fools are going to leave you, but I will die with you. And he takes out the sword, and he takes a shot at Malchus, is his name, the, the servant. We know that from John's account. And he cuts off his ear. And here's where it is. Like, okay, was he going for the head? Okay, was he trying to chop off his head? Or did he actually know what he was doing by chopping off the ear? Because if he chops off this guy's ear, because we just went through the book of Leviticus. And if you're serving in the temple and you're missing an ear, then you can't serve in the temple. So did he know what he was doing? And if he did... My goodness, you cut off some dude's ear with a sword? That's a pretty good shot. Like, that's, that's crazy. How, now, if you're trying to cut their head off and you get their ear, I'm still kind of impressed with that. Like, how did you, how did you do that? So I don't know his reasoning. I don't know if he was meaning to maim him or if he was trying to kill him. I don't know. But I do know that the other gospel accounts, Jesus rebukes Peter and he says, put that sword away. Now is not the time. Now's not the time for this, Peter. Don't you think I could call to my father and he could solve this problem for me? So those are other gospel accounts. But what we have is Mark's here. And Mark is writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with Peter. And he leaves him nameless. I think Peter would have probably been like, put my name in it, right? But for whatever reason, he's left unnamed. And the best conclusion is that, yes, it probably was Peter. John even says so it was Peter. And why he took this into his hands, I don't know, but I know what that's like. When you're like walking with the Lord and you try to take things in your own hands and then you make a mess of it. It always happens. It always happens. I see it time and time again in my life. I know the Lord's called me to do this thing. And then I get impatient with him and frustrated with him because he doesn't move as quickly as I think he should. And then I start stepping in as a problem solver and start trying to solve problems. And what I end up doing is causing more messes. And the Lord's like, put the sword away, James. Put the sword away.
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your Savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone, then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, babe.